Uh, you know, if we've not met today, I'm so glad that you're here today. My name is Ken, and I'm one of the founding pastors, and also I'm a foolish and sinful man that God has chosen for that. Um, you know, I've been here for the last uh, 17 years, and, and we're starting a, a, a topic today, uh, or a, thing, a series called Hot Topics, where I asked you as a congregation to provide me questions to answer from Scripture, and um, the t- title for today's message is God and Women, um, and I, I just want to say as I get started that issues concerning gender are probably the hottest topic in our culture today and in the church and in families. And when we try to speak of issues of gender, it places us in the middle of an ancient war um, that was the result of the curse. And sadly, there have been many casualties in our gender war throughout human history. And often the victims throughout history have been women who have been lied to and who have been oppressed and abused by men uh, because men falsely feel that they are superior to women sometimes. And um, that's a lie that sometimes has been propagated in and justified by God's church that's listening more to culture than to God. And, and in recent days, women maybe are fighting back believing in more what the culture ideologies say than God. And now she has also often become an oppressor, which creates other victims. Frankly, nobody's winning. Um, I've been all over the map on this message. I don't think I've ever studied something as much, thought about something as much, for the last couple of weeks. And um, there are honestly casualties on both sides. And God created men and women to be allies, but sin has deceived us to shoot at our allies. And so if you look at that question up there, can women preach in the church? And uh, it's going to be more nuanced, and I'm, like I said, I'm probably going to be all over the map a little bit today, but... Um, I want to give you the soundbite answer because it seems like that's what we want in, in our culture today. It's a soundbite answer. And I would say yes, no. Um, it's complicated if God says so. And in the end, it's beautiful. <laughs> that's that's kind of where I'm going today. Um, and I think that a simple answer doesn't work. And um, so I'm asking you today on all sides in this hot topic to unlock and load our opinions so you can hear what God says. Because I would say the same thing about any man. Yes, no, it's complicated. Um, If God says so, then it's a beautiful thing. So, and I think that that's what the scriptures ultimately teach. And 
to unlock and load us. I want you to hear something the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 3, 27 through 28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, which is the church, I have put all put on and and have or, or have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to a promise. Brothers and sisters, did you hear just now what God has to say about this gender war? That by faith in Christ, it's already won. And, and so the conflict should be over. And so maybe one of the questions is, why are we still shooting at each other in the church? And Paul's statement is so radical that I'm still comprehending it. And it was given to the church in the first century, and because men and women believe that, they actually changed the fabric of their society to be more pro-woman. And culture and society and families and religious institutions started to change. Friends, are we, are we ready to believe it 2,000 years later? Or are we going to continue to war about gender issues in 2023? Paul is saying that no race, no gender, or economic status dominates or oppresses us in Jesus' kingdom. Friends, we all have victory. You know, my sister... I learned something. She kind of confirms something in my message. Uh, Rena, as a missionary, goes all over, and you know, I would have no problem with her preaching anywhere. And, and part of it is a lot of those other complicated things, but a part of it also is that scripture saying she's wearing a Jesus suit. Do you think about it? And... and, and uh, the real way this question was asked, and I kind of cleaned it up for social media and that, because the question is a loaded gun. Why doesn't our church allow women to preach? And friends, I don't know who asked that question, whether it was a man or a woman, but thanks a lot. Because <laughs> this way this question is phrased is a loaded gun that I've got to carry around. And and, and or I've had to carry around for the last couple weeks. And the, the question assumes that there's a group of men sitting in a boardroom somewhere in their church smoking cigars and plotting how to oppress and keep women down. In this church, it crosswinds. And frankly, I find cigars yucky. And there are probably women here who enjoy them more than me. And, and my job here today is to encourage both women and men to preach the gospel. And that's what we're about. So that this war will finally be over once and for all. And the truth is, Crosswinds does allow women to preach. I've, I've allowed that um, because the word of God, I believe, says she can. She's able. The, the word preach biblically means to proclaim or to herald or announce something as a herald. Does God 
allow women to preach? Yes. He commands it. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority on, in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Two of our brothers today are preaching at other small churches to help out, even though, because I believe that the gospel needs to go forward. And, and, and I think we need as many gospel preachers out in the world as possible. Even if we end up short-staffed. Jason and Abdu, pray for them because right, they're preaching somewhere right now. We train them in this church. But Annika is well-trained to preach the gospel. I asked her to come up and share the three circles with us as, as an illustration of that, but she's got a lot to carry today with leading worship the first time. And uh, Jesus did not say that great commission in a smoke-filled room full of dudes. Okay? Women... Jesus says, you've been given the authority to preach his gospel. And I want you to know that actually women, if you use your sex as an excuse not to preach the gospel, you're not living out his design for his church and its sin. Girlfriend, you're hired. Can't pay you, but you're hired right now. (laughs) And, And you better go do it. Or you might get fired later for being lazy or fearful or disobedient instead of faithful to what God has said. And I, this week, had the joy of teaching personally two two new women, disciples, to preach the gospel, my mom and Joy. And they're learning, and who knows? Actually, did you know the, the first gospel preaches preacher Jesus authorized to preach was a woman? It was. Read your scriptures. In John 20, 17, Mary Magdalene was crying and hanging on to the resurrected man, Jesus, her teacher, and he told her, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus saw enough value in Mary, a woman, to let her preach the most important message ever that the war is over. Now, did the guys believe her? No. They thought she was telling fantasies, and maybe that was partially because she was a woman in their culture. But without her faithful ministry as a woman, the men would not have a gospel to preach. The facts of the Gospels, Jesus' death on the cross was witnessed by female disciples. The the females were the ones who saw where he was buried. Nobody else did. And because of that, they knew, we know, where the tomb was so that we can preach it empty. And because our sisters had a faithful, courageous devotion to Jesus instead of hiding somewhere, they were the first to witness the resurrection, the proof the good news that we preach that the war is over. And they did it with authority. The authority of the scriptures we preach came through the partnership of men and women disciples who preached his gospel in the first century. And Jesus commands both men and women disciples to preach his gospel 
in his church. Crosswinds is a place where we'll always equip both men and women to preach the gospel and serve based on their spiritual gifts and calling given by God as long as I'm called to lead here. Maybe tomorrow I won't be <laughs> as we continue in this. But, but I want to refine the question a little because I think it gets to the heart of, of the, the, the cultural question this here is, can women preach in the context of the local church? Because there are a lot of opinions out there about that, and there are some churches and denominations that would say absolutely no, and others would say yes. And I would say what I just said, yes, no, it's complicated, if God tells her, and it's beautiful. To believe in the absolute yes is often to believe in a, a, a doctrine called egalitarianism. That people are equal and deserve equal rights and opportunities. But I, I think that there's some theological problems with that view that, that, that are, are, are actually creating problems in, 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 that, in our society right now. And the no camp in the religious setting believes what's called complementarianism, which is that men and women are... are, are um, you know, different, complementary, um, one's a little more dominant, and that they work together for the sake of the family and the sake of the church. And, 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 and I think that that is kind of where religious institutions fall in. And, 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 and I, I don't, I struggle with that even as I've studied this issue. I'm struggling because I think that the definition is even higher than that and more complicated than that. And I want to give you a simple illustration before we start shooting, and I hope nobody shoots, of what this is. A simple application. It's mind-lumbing. It's simple, but it's safe. So up here. Oh, Annika took a bite. I told you not to. Never mind. No, the joke between her and I. Um, <laughs> bad joke. Okay. So we have here an orange and we have an apple, right? Okay. Please. Audience participation time. Uh, what's in common with both of these things? They're fruit. Yay. They have seeds. They're what? Healthy. Awesome. What else? They taste good. They're juicy. They grow on trees. Man, there's a lot in common, right? Okay, now let's talk about what's, what's different. Because they're not the same, are they? So what's different about them? The color? The taste? The skin? Okay, type of tree? The region? Ta huh? Fibers? Yeah, but one's more fibrous, one's less. Vitamins? One's gluten? Okay. Oh, one's good, one's bad. <laughs> Watch it. <laughs> okay, okay. You got it? Now, today, here's where our gender is at. It's like, what if we just take the orange juice out of this and inject it into this one? Does that make that an orange? 
What if I paint this one red? It's complicated, right? I'm not making a judgment. I'm just saying that we're all messed up on this right now, I think, as a culture, right? So we need to go back to some definitions. So um, uh, um, Danielle and Chris, could you come on up here? We're going to be dangerous. (laughs) Somewhat dangerous. Could you stand on this side? And Chris, you can stand on this side. I'm going to give a little separation in case there's a war. Um, <laughs> so um, what's the same about these two? They're human. Yeah. What's uh, also the same about them? They're both believers of Christ? Um, yes. Uh, they're both made in the image of God. Thank you, Andrew. You just redeemed yourself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they're both made in the image of God. I would say they're both valuable and they're both loved. Okay? Now, what are the differences? Never mind. Because <laughs> we need to be careful how we answer this question because it's complicated and you could start a religious war right here about gender, culture, and even a religious war. Right? Um, let's give a, a, a big hand to these two for coming up and putting up with that. Thank you. See, we have this extreme belief in our country of equality. And, and often conversations about that, like if we were about to have, have been used to devalue people and, and to subjugate people. And this value of equal rights is good. And I, I, I believe that why we value it as a culture is because of God's word. God's word says this in Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of man, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I want you to know that God was the first one to use proper pronouns. Maybe we haven't since. When he, 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 he says he created man or Adam, the Hebrew means mankind. So all humans are equally created in the image of God. No one is second best or first best in value or love. Now, in that sentence also um, uh, is, uh, again, the word man. And um, uh, uh, it's a word, this word Adam is actually for mankind. And, And then God says, he created them, male and female, he created them. So that's the right pronoun, male and female, he created them. God created both value, they're both made in his image, and he created diversity. There's difference. Um, when sin entered the world, it created two things. Pride in our differences and also shame in our differences. In in the garden, I think things were complementary. But after the fall, it kind of sometimes often became headship with gender domination and and competition. And that's a result of the fall, which is not so complementary. That's where I struggle a little bit with complementarianism, which because that often exists wrongly in, in religious environments. 
but, but Jesus' kingdom, what Paul is describing there, seems complementary with equal value, doesn't it? Complementary with equal value. And, and without anything going. And I think that, that, that in the, the kingdom of God, there is submission, something higher than I would say of common. There's submission and oneness. Submission and, 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 and oneness. When we were created, there was no war. Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. They worshiped the creator that gave them value. And um, yet he gave them some diverse functions. And, and, and it was kind of in the image of God. There's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's oneness and there's unity and there's submission. Uh, you know, because God said this, again, proper pronouns, let us make man or mankind in our image. In our image. And, and what, what I think is at the heart of today's question comes from a complicated text the Apostle Paul preached in, in 1 Timothy 2.12 that I think often is used falsely to devalue one gender that he created in his image for value. And, and that verse is very isolated, and I think you have to, 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 to go all over Scripture. That's why it's very complicated to discover, discover what Paul is trying to say to us. And, and this is what he said. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. That kind of does sound like shut up, girl, you don't, and you don't get to preach at our church or in our modern culture. That's kind of what it sounds like, especially to our, our culture today. And, and Paul does not seem to express a devaluing of women in any way as an example in his life and, and what he understands about the scriptures. And, and the Bible doesn't, and, and, and Jesus doesn't. And, and one way to deal with this text is, is to excuse it and ignore it, ignore it. And many in a modern progressive movement of Christianity are doing that right now. And recently I had a, a conversation with a local pastor who said to me, Paul was simply a man on a journey. Or in essence, Paul was a misogynist. Like the other men of his culture. And we really don't have to listen to what he says. And so he dismisses that and he dismisses a lot of other important things in Scripture. And he's a false teacher because of it. And that's what this book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy is about false teaching. I'd rather have a true woman teacher than a false teacher. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Right? And sometimes there's not a man to stand up and be a true teacher. And Paul was an expert in the Old Testament. And he's arguably one of the most fruitful Christian leaders the church has ever known. Acts 19 tells us because of Paul's ability to lead and teach and, 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 and train up leaders that 8 million people within two years heard the gospel in Asia. That's amazing. I don't think any other leader in history has, has done that. Not, you know, not, I don't think even Andre's done that. You know, <laughs> Andre's an amazing church leader, and I don't think he's done that. And, and, and because of the things like he wrote in, 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 in 328, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is, there is no male nor female, for you all one in Christ Jesus. Um... 
I, I, I think there's something more we need to understand about Paul and what, what, what he was ultimately teaching. In, in Roman and Greek culture, as I mentioned, um, women were thought of as property and had no rights. And, and because of the preaching of the gospel, historically what happened was more rights and more value started to come in the family and in society. And so to dismiss Paul, I think would be an absolute mistake. But, but to wrestle, to understand what he's saying in his teaching, I believe has more benefit. And I believe that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching and for reproof and correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped. And that includes people because it's, it's just written man, but it's people, the human beings of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Um, for both male and female, we believe scripture is the highest authority. Not me or any scar-smoking man or committee in the church or in our denomination. And, and yet this soundbite of Paul's can create a gender war real quickly in the church. But I want you to think about the context. Because a soundbite doesn't cut it when complicated issues. And so today I want you to open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And, and let's look closely at this passage and not abuse it because we need to listen to what God is saying. And Paul says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, all, for kings, and for all who are in high position, that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. In this context that Paul is teaching, he's teaching us about worship, about how we are to be, come together as a church to worship. And, and, and Paul is instructing Timothy, who will be taking over his, his ministry. Um, and that ministry is in many household churches, some who are in women's homes, and, and some where it appears that women are leaders of those churches from the scriptures. And if you read his letters, you will see that they are addressed to both men and women, who he both commends and sometimes even rebukes, for errors because he is the leader of, of the movement and he, and he sees some things damaging to the church. And, and 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are like that. And he says, first of all, and, and what he emphasizes is of what is primary importance in this whole question, is our unity as his disciples in the hope of the gospel. When men and women's roles in the church are not primary, uh, they are secondary to the gospel. My, my sisters and brothers, I want you to know that we can disagree because I believe what I'm talking about is, is very debatable. And it's a debatable matter. And Paul says this in Romans 14, 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. And, and the last thing today I want to do is create a quarreling. All the scholars I've read debate about what this chapter says. And I've studied this issue a lot, and I'm not infallible, but I believe the God, Word of God is. And so I do not dismiss it, because if you dismiss it, you'll lose other truths that are important to the gospel. 
And, and so if you just want to dismiss it, I, I don't think that's a good idea. But I think we can agree to disagree on this. And I welcome you all to come talk to me on anything that I say today so that we may both grow in our understanding of what Paul is saying. And, and what I hope you see is that Paul's goal and my goal is to bring unity and value to all people. And he's instructing Timothy to keep something first priority in the church. Instead of criticizing those in authority, Paul is telling us to pray for them. If you see a fault or a sin in, in a person or gender or a group, we are not to go to war. Friends, we are to pray. The goal for us is to be people who are peaceful and live in holiness that's different than the world. And, and in this passage, Paul is specifically instructing Timothy how we come to worship. And it's to be conducted in unity and love in our diversity as a body. And we should show goodness to those who are different than us. Because they are made in the image of God. And they are worth valuing. And Paul says this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What does God want to save, friends? What does he want to save? All, all people, men and women. And what does he want all people to know? The truth, the truth of the gospel, that Jesus died for each one of them, regardless of race or gender or politics or economic status. All means all, all. And, and he wants them all to know the truth, even though sometimes truths that we hear are uncomfortable because it conflicts with our, our, our cultural ideas and our, and our opinions. And Jesus is the truth. And he's saying, and, and um, he says, says this, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all which is a testimony given at the proper time. So there's an expression of unity of the Godhead, and then there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and there's perfect unity and diversity, mutual submission. But Paul says there is one mediator. A mediator is a go-between that brings an end to a conflict, and, and that mediator is a man, Christ Jesus. And, and how did man end the conflict? Did he do it through dominance and submission? No. The war between genders is won through submission and love. And Jesus surrendered his life for all people, the religious and the non-religious, the male, the female, the rich, the poor, the ignorant, the intelligent, the black, the white, the yellow, the brown, the furry. Now, I think it's significant that Paul said man, but he said a specific man. You don't, friends, need a holy man or a priest. You only need one heavenly high priest, the one who came as a man, Jesus. Mary, his mother, is not our mediator or our go-between. No other womanly leader is your go-between or male leader. Your salvation or the end of your war with God in your sin 
is found in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Man, even, and woman, even your own sacrifices, your own good works do not save you. Now Paul continues, he says, For I was appointed as a preacher and as an apostle, and I am telling the truth, and I am not lying. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And, and, and Paul here is reminding us of his function or his purpose, that he was a herald or he was a preacher of the gospel. He's an, it's a dual purpose he has. He's also an apostle, a, a founder and an authority of a movement of churches. And so one has to do with function and one has to do with authority or I would like a better word, responsibility before God. And, and I believe this distinction here is important for us to understand the rest of the text. And, and, and when considering who does what in the church, there are, there are many things to consider. One, can they fulfill the function? And, and have they been given the authority by God to do what he's asked them to do? And if God's given them the authority, I'm not going to stand in the way. That comes to calling and, 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 and a lot of other things. And, and there are examples in the Bible where God... Gave a woman to do authority things that a man should have done, um, but there wasn't a good man to do it. And, and so um, the gospel he preaches, Paul says, does not come from man. Uh, Paul says that in Galatians real clearly. It does not come from man. Paul also does not have the job because he has the best or, 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 order. It's not about capability. And he indicates sometimes that he is not as good as others in speaking, but his message is powerful because it's focused on the gospel. He was called by God to be an authority, a leader to the churches. And Paul was first an enemy to God. He was not a disciple of Jesus, but on his conversion on the Damascus row, wrote he was given res- the responsibility to be a leader and his, his call was confirmed by another guy called Ananias who was a believer. And this is what God said to, or Jesus said to Ananias, go to this man, he is my chosen, and he said this in a vision, he, he is my chosen intru- instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And his authority also was confirmed by other apostles. And and, and so Paul got his authority directly from God, and it was confirmed in other people. The arrogance to me of of someone saying Paul was somehow a misogynistic man on a journey, frankly, amazes me. First and, and second Timothy are the last words of a true servant of God at the end of his journey, about to face his death after faithfully and successfully fulfilling the call God gave him. And his words, I believe, are true, unlike many false teachers today. And he says this, and this is where it gets a little dicey. He says, I, 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 I then, in every place, and so that kind of dismisses the idea that this is a specific place, that men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and without quarreling. And the primary call 
for men in the church is for them to pray. Isn't their leadership to, to pray? They're not to lead through anger and violence and, and dominating one another. In general, the male gender, in general, men tend to compete with one another physically for physical dominance, or maybe it's intellectual dominance, but, it, it, you know, as a boy growing up, it was, it was all about dominance with other men. You know, 72% of arrests for violent cr- crimes in our country today are men. 4.8 million of those were women victims of those violent crimes, and it was often by spouses. And I would say Paul is very pro-women here by calling out men about their, their, their tendency to violence and, and, and telling them it's not appropriate in God's church and, and, and to not dominate our domination. Um, and, and, and Paul knows this because he himself was a violent terrorist to Christians until he met the man Jesus. And Paul had to repent of his violence and, and come to worship him because he was violent in his religious oppression by force. Now, now, Paul gives also instruction to women in his church. Likewise, also women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair uh, and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. And on the, its own, this verse seems like very misogynistically a male is telling other women how they should dress. But I want you to consider the context of what's happening here. Paul just said, likewise. And I think the truth is that men tend to compete through physical or intellectual dominance of each other. And women, and this is not 100%, tend to compete with other women through physical appearance. Not all women do. But I think Paul is recognizing a temptation through the Holy Spirit for both sexes to compete. And the way they compete is different, typically. Yes, women can be physically violent. And yes, men can compete in appearance. But, but women, let me ask you, and men, uh, uh, ask you a question. Have you faced in your life growing up those different ways that men and women dominate is there any truth to that at all? I'll just ask you because, you know, from my experience, from watching people of various cultures and in different countries all over the world, this seems right. And, and, and you know, science and history, I, I think, could, could provide further evidence to show the same trend. Men can be pretty violent worldwide. And historically, Great expense and even physical mutilation has been done for women to be appear more beautiful. And, 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 and some of that may be driven by men, but it also could be driven by them. There's a, it's, it's complicated. But often, if this text is preached in isolation, it, it can condemn the vanity of the woman. It, it's often said as a way to condemn the vanity of a woman. And I don't believe that that was Paul is aiming at. What he's aiming at is the war, the, the contentious ways that we compete with one another. 
It's often different in different genders, but the, the problem is the same. The root is the same, and, and it's not appropriate. It's not appropriate behavior in God's kingdom, and so we need to examine our hearts in, in these issues um, because those are the old rules of the world's kingdom, and we're under a new rule called the kingdom of God, which, which brings love and peace and unity with all who are made in the image of God, and all means all. And Paul is giving instruction for worship that edifies God's kingdom, not things that distract. And anger is the thing that can distract. And and James 20 says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And that's, again, human beings. Anger, contentious competition in appearance is a distraction, to our worship. And a few people that are competing like that can kind of spoil the whole thing and, 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 and devalue others. And it, it doesn't um, display to the world a gospel that restores mankind to value. And so Paul is then instructing women that they are to work spiritually on godly character and, and not in externals. And yes, these words are tricky in our culture to understand. And this one is especially, it says a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. And friends, that sounds devaluing, but it's not. In our culture, it sounds like it. Paul is saying here, women should learn. The truth is, in their culture, they were not even thought of as capable to learn. Paul had been trained in that culture and was one of the best students of that culture. And, um, you know, the male rabbis he sat under believed that a woman was not capable of learning and there was no way you should ever teach a woman. And and so what he is saying is radical and, and it gave value to women. It helped women to grow in their knowledge of God and in every area of life. And he encouraged women to read and to learn the scriptures. We see that in the story of Mary and Martha. Mary is commended for doing what is best, not health's work, by sitting and learning quietly the learn of God. So this word quiet doesn't mean silent. It's not shut up, girl, in the church. They were learned quietly with respect. Don't you remember earlier that he said both men and women may lead peaceful and quiet lives? Quietness or or peacefulness is a characteristic for all of God's disciples, for Jesus' disciples. Qualification for a male pastor is that he is not violent or a brawler. And women and men training to be leaders in God's kingdom need to learn to be quiet, to be peaceful. In a world where your success is often gained through arguing, throughout talking, you know, uh, dominating other people in various ways. Jesus says something different to us in his kingdom. He says, he who has ears, let them hear. Hear to understand, to, to really understand, friends, you need to listen and so this is not a put down to a woman. It's a lift up to women. Women are giving, be giving the opportunity to understand God because she is capable of doing so. That's what he's saying. Now, the tricky part to understand is coming now. 
And so please unlock and load for just a moment to hear this. Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise an authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And, and friends, that can seem harsh and, and devaluing to women as leaders in his church. And it can sound like shut up and just let the men lead. And that's really unfortunate. Because that's not really, I don't think, what it means for a woman that she needs to be silent. But it does mean she needs to be peaceful. And, and not contentious, which is actually the same direction he gave to men. Plus, women are commanded in other places in the scripture to teach. So it's definitely not a capability issue for Paul, or he, he would not have anybody out there putting out bad or false doctrine, and he authorizes women to teach. So the first explanation is people have is that Paul is you know, speaking... Uh, to a specific problem in the Ephesian church that maybe some of the women were out of line and, and teaching falsely or distracting or talking or something, and, and that's what Paul is addressing. And, and yet, that does not really seem to fix, fit the rest of the context of this book or this, this page uh, of text. Um, what Paul seems to be addressing is something called authority or responsibility, not capability. Paul not only had capability as a preacher, but he also had something called authority or responsibility. And this word authority in the Greek is the word authentico. Uh, and some modern translators read of this Bible have made, I believe, this word more negative, and, and, and others have made it more neutral. For example, King James says, I, I suffer not a woman to teach or to usurp authority over a man. And then the CEB says, I don't allow a wife to teach or to control her husband. And the NIV says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. And, and those also kind of negatively imply a woman is seeking to dominate a man. And the ESV is more neutral. That's one I, I'm teaching from today. It says, I, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Some think that this word uh, woman could be translated wife and the word man, husband. And, and, and in the Greek, that's possible. And, and Paul could be addressing competitive behavior in a marriage that, that does not express the unity of the gospel in God's kingdom. And a picture of a Christian marriage is to be a picture of the gospel of both people submitting to one another in love. You know, and according to some more recent analysis of the word authentico in ancient texts that have, has been broader, uh, that, that I, I think that there are scholars that are saying that that, that, that negative connotation of women somehow being usurpers of authority should be abandoned. And, and, and there's other grammatical possibilities for the translation that make both seem that they're negative things, but teaching is a positive thing that Paul encourages and even commanded for women. And the word quiet or peaceful can also mean undisturbed. 
And so maybe women are, are to learn undisturbed and they're not to, to compete with men, creating contention over leadership responsibility. And in this world, we think of leadership as privilege, a, a place we dominate and, and go tell others what to do. But in the kingdom, Jesus says it's opposite. It's a place of service and sacrifice. I don't think many of you want my job. I've never had a woman come and want my job. I've had a few tell me what to do, but I, I'm not just teasing with that. Um, but but I, I've not had anybody, and, I've, and very few men want my job. And if you do, it's a, an honorable thing. But I don't think many want the responsibility of my job. Some might want the attention, or they might want the title, but do you want the responsibility? It's terrifying. I'm accountable to God for you. That's what the scriptures say. We have wonderful, many women leaders here at Crosswinds. Actually, lots of women leaders for our media, for our children's program. I think Natasha is doing five jobs today. Anyways, first impressions, hospitality, um, women's ministry, and church communication. And these women lead with great capability and authority in their ministry. But friends, I'm ultimately responsible for them in the kingdom. And there's a difference between capability and authority. Authority in the world usually comes with greater pay. Authority in the kingdom usually comes with greater suffering and sacrifice. It may be a grace Paul is talking about for women. They are freed to learn quietly without that responsibility. And now Paul goes in a completely mysterious direction in his instruction to us, but I think it fits best with what I just said. In verse 13, he says, For Adam was formed first, and then Eve, and Adam was not the one who was deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. And, and, and so I think Paul's reasoning for why he gives men the role of both teaching and, and authority is not about their ability to have authority or their, their, their ability to teach. It's not about capability, but it's about man's responsibility. And, 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 and Paul refers to creation order here. God gave man the word before he even gave him a wife. And he was responsible to protect her from false teaching, from that serpent, but in history, and this text has been used to disparage women. That they're not capable to teach. That they misread the text. If they're doing that, if they're, they're saying a woman is not capable. Because it says the woman was deceived. And it's like only the woman was deceased. The text says that Adam was with her when she was deceived. And Adam knew better. Yet he did not stop her or himself. He, he, he was deceived into sin as well. And, and, and who do you think God holds more accountable? The responsible one or the one that didn't know? Sin is sin. But Paul says it's Adam, and he says that clearly in Romans 5.12. He says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, 
and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. And friends, that's not debatable. That's clear. And then Adam blamed her. And men have been blaming her for their sins ever since. The women are being nice and silent, but they could have given a big amen. Because men and women blame each other. That's the war. But who did God correct in the garden? Adam. Adam hid in the garden, and God called out to him. He called him out. Because the dude was responsible. The dude was responsible. The man was deceived. He, he, he lied to God about the nature of his sin by blaming her. Now, the whole story of the Bible, friends, is about the restoration of man. So I want you to look at this verse in that context. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. And I think that's one of those big buts of the Bible that just does not lie and proves the truth of what Paul is teaching the church, that it's pro-women. Sin entered the world through a man, and salvation comes to the world through a woman. You see that? Created order. Sin entered the world through the man. Creative order is a lot more important to God for, I think, a beautiful reason. Then, and, 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 and salvation comes through a woman. And, and friends, that, that seems to fit the, the biblical narrative beautifully. Both sexes are then used to redeem mankind while both sexes fell and in proper order. The, the, the daughters of Eve, the, the promise of redemption was through a new Adam, the son of man, who is finally responsible with the word. See, Jesus never sinned. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, we're, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. And, and friends, all shall be laid. Both sexes are completely redeemed of their shame through this process, and all are restored. And, and friends, I don't think this verse says women have to stay home and have babies to be saved because that makes no sense because that's not the gospel. Women, not all women have children. And it was a specific man, not all children, that would be able to save through the man, Christ Jesus, who was born of a woman, and faithfully came to do what only he could do, what God gave him the authority to do. To accomplish his will. To suffer at the hands of simple men and women who mocked him. To be nailed to a cross and still obeyed God's command to peace and mercy and cried out, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And he sacrificed his very life, gave it up for us, for both genders. And on the third day, he rose again. Which proved that he had the power to 
to forgive our sin. A man did. A responsible man. And he had the power to give us eternal life and to restore, to bring a kingdom that restores all that was lost to both genders. And so what I think Paul, a great gospel preacher, is ultimately talking about, this is the gospel. And today, are you ready to end the war? Are you willing to live higher than complementarianism, which tends to push down, or, or equality that tends to create all kinds of problems, and live in unity and oneness? Because that's what heaven is like. And that's what his church is to be like. I'd like you to stand. And I'm going to let a woman, Annika, come and lead us in worship. And as we worship today, maybe you need to squeeze your spouse because you have some repenting to do. I'm not going to say which one. It's your personal. Maybe you need to go before God and realize your errors in thought. Maybe you today finally saw the beauty of his story and you need to put your faith in this man, Christ Jesus, who is the perfect man, the perfect groom to both genders. He fully protects. He fully saves. He fully loves. He can make up for all the failings that other gender you're with right now because he is perfect. And I pray today that you would repent and turn of your sin and not blame another gender, not blame another party, another person, and turn to him and embrace him and and trust him and his word and follow him because he is worthy of it. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Let what I said fall to the ground, but let your word ring true. Anything that was false. For I'm just a man, a chief of sinners. That you have called to claim your wonders. And I thank you for that. And you have all the answers. Father, I I, I pray that right now that men and women would hear your Holy Spirit and that they might repent and find salvation in gender relationships, but mostly in you. Find peace, a peace that goes beyond their understanding. And I pray this in Jesus' name.